Welcome to Today on Broadway for Christmas Eve, Friday, December 24th, 2021. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Broadway star's Jennifer McHugh. Hey, Jen, ending the, the, I guess not ending the year because there's still more to go, but like wrapping up our last official Today on Broadway together. That's not normally how this stuff works, but I'm very glad to be finishing up the TOBs with you for 2021. Yes, and thank you so much for educating me as to what TOBs Mm -hmm. meant. Yes, and the T and the B are capitalized. The O is lowercase Mm. because, you know, proper usage and grammar and stuff. So, Uh, but yeah, we've had a really, really fun week here on Today on Broadway. has been having a little bit of news and then some other special content. So go back to the rest of the week and hear all of our conversations on Tuesday. Um, Ashley, Grace, and I talked about the three major Sondheim things going on in the world. West Side Story movie, Company on Broadway, Assassins Off-Broadway. Then on Wednesday, I talked to Kit Shapiro, who is the daughter of the late, great Eartha Kit, um, about her book, Eartha and Kit, A Daughter's Love Story in Black and White. Really, really great conversation. I always like I mean, I love talking to people um, who have written books, authors or memoirists or anything like that. And then on Thursday's show, Grace spoke with F. Michael Haney and Mason Reeves of the uh, of the national tour of Frozen um, out there in Chicago, where she is at currently. So um, lots of good stuff today. Jen, you and I are going to talk about some of our. Um, favorite TV movies, and I've actually thrown in one other thing, um, from this year in pop culture. So we are kicking it back some like it pop style here um, at the end of the episode. So everybody should uh, stay stay tuned for that uh, here in about 10-ish to 15-ish minutes from now. So should be fun. Looking forward to it. All right, Jen, unfortunately, looking forward to that, not looking forward to this. We have to start the show with some uh, sad news because last night, the cast, crew, and fans of the Broadway musical Waitress got some disappointing uh, news as we learned that in the midst of a three-day COVID pause, the show had actually officially closed roughly two-ish weeks earlier than originally planned. The Broadway return of the Sarah Bareilles musical had planned on running through January 9th, but with the show's uh, canceled performances on the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, uh, with multiple COVID cases in the company, the production announced that they would not resume performances and that Monday, December 20th, was in fact the show's last performance on Broadway. Now, this is the third show to ostensibly shut down due to COVID interruptions. The first was Chicken and Biscuits, which shuttered back in November after having to go dark for a week. Then earlier this week, Jagged Little Pill did the same after shutting down because of COVID cases in the company. They opted not to return. This one is especially painful as this is actually the second show that current Jenna Sierra Renee has seen closed due to the pandemic. She was playing Queen Elsa in Frozen on Broadway in March of 2020, just a few weeks into her run when the shutdown occurred. And then Disney decided not to reopen the show whenever Broadway was going to return. In addition to Renee, the closing cast of Waitress featured one of your favorites, Jen, Joshua Henry as Dr. Pometer, Ashley Blanchett as Dawn, Maisha McQueen as Becky, Benny Eldridge as Cal, Ben Thompson as Earl, and Tyrone Davis Jr. as Ogie. Jen, I, I feel so bad for these folks, not only the cast, but the company, the crew, front of house, concessions, ushers, all of those folks. They come in just two days before Christmas is really sad. I'm afraid that this won't be the last show to make this painful decision. I understand why shows are making this decision, but it doesn't make it any easier. 
No, especially after such a celebration that the reopening was to just get kicked in the nuts a month later. Um, Chestnuts, probably. Chestnuts at this time of year. (laughs) But like you said, two days before Christmas, like what a bummer. Just um, I I know that there's hundreds of people that make up these companies. And and like you said, it's, of course, the actors, but stagehands, box office people, ushers, like everybody's out of a job. And that's just not what you want to hear two days before Christmas or any time of the year, but especially this week. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that some of these things with these extended closures uh, due to uh, COVID that we've seen shows taking off an entire week, I would imagine that if we haven't heard those ones closing, that they might return and try to really capitalize on the week between Christmas and New Year's, if that is still going to be a thing. You know, normally that's the biggest week of the year uh, for Broadway shows. But I mean, with the with the Omicron variant raging, I, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I mean, obviously, it'll probably be up from previous weeks, but I'm still concerned about whether or not there will be as many people there uh, as they think. And, you know, how much is uh, the surge in the pandemic really going to influence their ability to have performances that week? But I would not be surprised if we see some other shows closing up shop earlier than expected, which is is really, really sad. But in other news that will undoubtedly excite a lot of people, including many people in my uh, in my Twitter timeline, it was announced on Thursday that the Axelrod PAC in New Jersey has cast the great Kate Baldwin and Aaron Laser to lead their upcoming production of Jason Robert Brown's Bridges of Madison County. The show will actually be directed by Hunter Foster, who co-starred in the musical's original Broadway production and will run from March 11th through the 27th of 2022, pending, you know, the world. Uh, Tickets are now on sale, and we will have a link in the show notes and at broadwayradio.com. Jen, are you a, a big Bridges fan? I don't know that we've ever talked about that show. I have never seen the musical. I'm a huge fan of the movie, but I do enjoy Kate Baldwin. I watched her last night on the Kennedy Center Honors mm-hmm. and remembered that I saw her in Finian's Rainbow. So, oh, yeah. Well, I, I think- enjoy her. Yeah, with uh, longtime Ogie and waitress uh, Chris Fitzgerald, who That's, is now correct. now in company with Cheyenne Jackson in that revival as well. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yes. So. Yeah, yeah. Good. We're gonna and maybe Chuck Cooper as well. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a good cast. Um, a, a little dated material, but they yes. handled it well. And um, it, but she's great. This is this is a, a good counterpart to your first bit of news. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm pulling up that Finian's Rainbow Cats because I think it, it, there were even more folks in there. And I want to check my Chuck Cooper thing. Um, but it, it's really interesting that this show is kind of uh, having a, sh- a, a production so close to uh, to New York City, because I know that there are many, many people uh, in the New York City area that will be making the trek out there to see Kate Baldwin. So, yes, yeah, so we had Kate Baldwin, Cheyenne Jackson, um, Chuck Cooper, Chris Fitzgerald. We also had the great Jim Norton, Terry White in there as well. Um, let's see if I can spot any other names that I recognize. Um, so I'm scrolling through real quick. Don't see anybody else, but that's already. Uh, oh, Rashidra Scott was in there, too. Um, so really, really good company. So very. Yeah, cool. it was a lot of fun. I, I was in it when I was in fifth grade. And oh, um, wow. let's just say in, in 19 mm-hmm. um early 80s it was not handled as appropriately as it was with this cast so no, i can't imagine just leave it at that be. yeah uh, all right moving on real quick jen let's talk about our sponsor this week upstart we 
know that tomorrow is a huge day that everyone has been looking forward to. A lot of planning goes into Christmas plans, whether that is in buying presents, getting to wherever your family is going to be celebrating, party planning, cooking, whatever it is. Sometimes Christmas costs a whole lot of money. So if you find yourself looking at the prospect of going into the new year with a ton of credit card debt, our friends at Upstart are here to help you resolve all of that with one easy step so that you can start your year on great financial footing. Well, one of the great things about us Upstart is that it's a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. And instead of looking at the credit score alone, it considers other factors like your income, your current employment, your credit history to find you a smarter rate for your loan. And that is a blessing for a lot of people this time of year. Absolutely. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash Broadway. That's upstart.com slash Broadway. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit and come certain other information provided in your loan application. Upstart.com slash Broadway. All right, Jen, something else that's really fun that happened uh, on Thursday. The great folks over at Deadline continued their series where they um, published screenplays from recent and upcoming movies. And they actually released two of them over the last couple of days. The first one is the screenplay by Steven Levinson of Tick, Tick, Boom. So you can actually go to their website, read a little bit about it, and then download the PDF version of the script. The other one that they've released um, is of the upcoming uh, stage-to-screen adaptation of the Tony-winning play The Humans by Stephen Karam, who adapted the his Broadway show uh, for the screen as well. So I downloaded both of those. I have them. I can't wait to uh, to go through them both and read them. Um, are you much of a screenplay reader? I know we've talked a lot about reading plays, but um, are, do you read movie scripts all that often? Uh, no, couldn't care less, but I'm really happy for people that this will make happy. Yeah, there you go. Good for you. Very Christmas spirit of you, Jen. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of that, last week, Grace and I talked about, uh, or maybe even earlier this week, I can't remember at this point, um, we talked about some of our favorite holiday pieces of pop culture nostalgia. Uh, And Jen, since this is kind of in that was kind of encroaching on our some like it pop territory, and I think we might have actually done some of these in the past in previous Christmas, you know, season episodes. um, I wanted to get your favorites in the four categories that Grace and I discussed. Animated stop motion claymation thing, your favorite there, your favorite holiday album, your favorite live action holiday movie, and then your favorite play or musical about the holidays. So um, as a refresher in the animated stop motion claymation category mine was frosty the snowman what was yours um this is not a popular special but it's very special to me it's not even the best version of this story but it's mr magoo's christmas carol oh my god Um, yes it is ancient the animation looks like a four-year-old drew it Uh, mr magoo is voiced by um jim backus from gilligan's island and it's terrible but it was the most popular thing in my household growing up, and we always sing all of the original songs because they do use original music for it. It was horrible, but I love it. That's great. That's exactly. what that's what that's some of these exactly things should be about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Favorite holiday album? Mine was the Carpenters Christmas album. What is yours? I was triggered by one couple of the things you were saying. Not 
in a bad way, but in a oh, good wait, way. No, 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 um, wait, I was wrong. No, no, it wasn't. I, I had John Denver and the Muppets. That was my favorite. Yes, the Carpenters yes. is up there as well. But yeah. And you and you also mentioned Babs, which is one of my all time favorites. But mm. I'm going to go with one that came out in the last year or two. And it's a guy named Jamie Cullum. And it's called The mm. Piano Man at Christmas. And it is really, really enjoyable. If you want some new, fun Christmas music, my absolute favorite song on it is called Hang the Lights. And it'll get you dancing as you're decorating your tree. Is but you're a, late. Yeah, exactly. Is he a singer as well as or just piano? Uh, he's a singer. But okay. he's um, he has a, a like an 20 years ago Harry Connick vibe. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Before he stopped being able to sing and... Refused to shave his head for Daddy Warbucks. It's really enjoyable. It's just, uh, I don't usually buy into the new Christmas albums, but someone recommended this to me and I can't get enough of it. Jamie Cullum. Awesome. All right. So live action holiday movie. Mine was White Christmas, which I know you watched uh, on my recommendation. So I appreciate that. Um, What is your favorite live action holiday movie? Scrooged. (laughs) That seems right. That completely (laughs) tracks. It's just, it's just, I I have nothing else to say. It's Scrooged. So I know you've rewatched um, White Christmas. Was that yesterday that you watched it? I did. I was finishing up an end of the year article for my uh, website or my website, yeah. my writing job. And I had it on in the background, but then I just wound up sitting here watching it and getting nothing done. So thanks for that, Matt. You're welcome. So I take it that was a good thing. Oh, yeah. I love it. I watch it every year. Awesome. All right. So play or musical i went with the best christmas pageant ever which was kind of an off the board pick what do you think jen i picked the stingiest man in town which is a, oh. another a musical version of a christmas carol it's not very popular i was in it in my freshman year of high school and uh it has some really good original music in it and um there's 130,000 versions of a christmas carol now <laughs> yes about. This, and this is a musical version popular in the 70s and it's just something different so i like that one what is do you know who wrote it uh music by fred spielman and janice tory you know that no idea a yeah. great famous team of spielman and tory yeah no idea who that is but good for them <laughs> All right, so we are going to transition now from what we uh, would consider a Today on Broadway episode. And now, as you can hear with the theme music now playing, uh, we're going to transition into something of a Some Like It Pop episode where we are going to look at some of our favorite pieces of pop culture throughout the course of 2021. Now, Jen, you have consumed far more pop culture this past year than I have. Um, however, I am looking to change that in 2022. I have it as part of my um, my New Year's resolutions to get back more into watching television, movies, listening to podcasts, reading books, all of that stuff. Um, so your list is probably going to be quite more eclectic than mine is. Um, but um, what we're going to do is I think what we're going to do, you have ten, you have five movies and five TV shows. I've just got a list of 10. So why don't we just kind of go back and forth between um, each of us and just kind of run through them quickly and then, you know, focus on the biggest ones, um, but just kind of hit them here real quickly. The first one, I'll start. The first one is um, a podcast that I've started listening to. One, um, because I want to get into that resolution that I had um, to read more in 2022. My actual resolution is to read um, one book 
one play or no one book two plays in a comic book every month and so i've started listening to npr's book of the day podcast it used to be called the book concierge and they've changed it um here recently kind of reformatted it um andrew limbong is the host and um I, I love it because it's short, like seven to 15 minute episodes. I um, mean, it's generally interviews from across the NPR world. Um, some done done by Andrew, some on other podcasts uh, and radio shows where they just talk with an author about a book. And I've already gotten I've already spent way too much money just from listening to uh, this podcast and adding things to my list. But um uh, I really enjoy it. And I listen to a lot of NPR podcasts. So um, the uh uh, and PR uh, book of the day is one that I have very gladly added to my to my repertoire. I'm very happy to hear that. I am an Audible member, so I listen mm-hmm. to audiobooks all the time. I'm currently in the middle of Cecily Strong's um, oh yeah autobiography, which has turned out to be uh, I weep every single day. It's about oh, wow. the death of her cousin, and I wasn't expecting it, <laughs> but it's beautiful. Awesome. So, what do you want to start with, Jen? I'm going to start with. Um, movies. Okay. And I'm going to mention two dumbass comedies that are uh-huh. brainless and will not be nominated for any Oscars, but in the middle of a pandemic, they made me laugh uh, way more than they should have. And that's Coming to America and Barb and Star go to Vista Barb Del Mar. And Star. Yeah. And they are ridiculous and they are so cringeworthy. I don't think you could handle either. Nope. Um, but they are good for some real, real brainless laughs, and um, I refuse to apologize for enjoying them. Yeah, I mean, I love the original Coming to America when it was T.O., not the number two. Um, but yeah, I don't know that I could handle that one. Uh, but I've heard so much about Barb and Star recently, too. It's showing up on people's year-end list because they loved it so much. But yeah, it just feels like something that would make me cringe. Oh, no, you can't watch Barb and Star. <laughs> Good. Thank you for confirmation. But it does star Kristen Wiig. And I'm going to transition from one SNL uh, alum to two other SNL alums, because as if you follow me and if you listen to me, you know that I love baking shows. I have long loved baking shows. I used to love the like the early cake baking shows on the Food Network like two decades ago. Um, so a new show that I am watching, I have two episodes left on, is baking it. Ooh, hoo, 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 baking it. It is the new Peacock spinoff of the mm. Amy Poehler and um, um, uh, Nick, Nick Offerman, Offerman. Yeah, the Nick Offerman crafting show, Making It. Um, and it is hosted not by those two comedians, but by Maya Rudolph and Andy Samberg. It is a six episode um, holiday series. And what's great about this is um, unlike Making It, where it's just solo competitors, these are teams of two. Um uh, married couples, fathers, sons, uh, sisters, best friends, all this stuff. It's great. And what the little twist they do on this is that the judges are four opinionated grandmas. Um, that is the judge. Those are the judges for the baking competitions. They have the traditional you know, challenges and all that stuff. They give out brooches um, for whoever wins a challenge. It is very funny. Now, of course, all of the, the grandmothers are like, bakers and baking instructors like professors and you know nutritionists and all this stuff but it is so much fun i enjoy it um maya and andy certainly pick up on the goofy vibe that amy and nick have um uh in making it so um uh, i love that it's a quick thing um for uh for the holidays and i'm really enjoying it 
um, I saw Andy on Seth Meyers promoting it and it looks hilarious. So it's definitely on our list. Awesome. So what, what do you have next, Jen? I'm going to go with a television show. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little and, and Fair. I'm going to encroach on what I know is on your list, but we can talk about it together. And that is the Marvel television universe. And okay. I'm including all the shows this year, Wanda, Falcon, Loki, and Hawkeye, because they were all completely different and they were all good in their own way. And I never in a million years thought that after all of these decades of movies that Hawkeye would turn out to be one of the most entertaining stories of mm -hmm. all of the Avengers. And the way that Hawkeye was scripted, um, cast, uh, filmed, and it, it costumed, it was a beautiful production. And I don't want to spoil anything, but their series finale that aired this week was one of Perfect. the best episodes of television I've ever seen. And I know everyone is sick of superheroes and I know, you know, it, it gets to be a lot, but it, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful episode of television. And if you are not in love with Florence Pugh oh my God. and Haley Steinfeld at the end of this show, I don't know what's wrong with you because they are perfect together. Yeah. The, uh, the only caveat I'm going to make here is, is that I liked I know I loved two of the four, no, two of the five series that Marvel released on Disney Plus this year. One I was really underwhelmed with. One of them is very much not my thing. And one of them I liked a lot, but didn't love. Um, so I'll get into the two that I loved uh, later on because uh, I did them as a combo as well. Um, but we, we will definitely get to those. But I am going to stay in the Marvel Cinematic Universe here because the next thing on my list is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, this is an origin story for a new superhero in the MCU coming from the comics, uh, obviously. Uh, Simu Liu is, stars as Shang-Chi. He stars uh, in the film opposite uh, Aquafina, uh, Minger Zhang, Fala Chen, Florian uh, Munteanu. No, I'm going to just take that out. Uh, Benedict Wong, Michelle Yeoh, Ben Kingsley, and Tony Leung. Um, this was, if you had taken out just a few cameo appearances by like Benedict Wong and then um, a, a Black Widow, and not Scarlett Johansson, but one of the other widows um, and the character Abomination, this could have been a completely independent martial arts fantasy film and it would have been just as entertaining um i thought the action was incredible uh simu is amazing as shang chi aquafina is great um i mean everybody in this was fantastic i loved this movie and it you know came out in uh late summer early fall and despite all of the hesitation for people to go to movie theaters it still made over 432 million dollars at the box office um there is going to be a sequel and i would not be surprised if shang chi and some of the characters that showed up in this movie um appear in many other places uh, but i thought this was a one of the best origin story films we've had in a long time um I don't consider Black Panther an origin story since we actually saw him in Civil War. Um, but other than that, like that's the only real comparison for me in terms of origin stories 
I mean, honestly, maybe since phase one of the MCU. So very much enjoyed Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and looking forward to seeing what happens with these characters moving forward. Yeah, I loved Shang-Chi. I just watched it a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's great. So, so good. Uh, All right. What do you have next, Jen? I'm going back to movies and I'm going to, for some reason, Jamie Dornan appears twice on my list, but I'm going to go with Belfast, um, which is the new Kenneth Branagh movie. And it is uh, about the uh, kind of a coming of age story set during the Troubles. Um, For those who don't know what the Troubles are, you should Mm -hmm. learn about them because it's an important part of history of the conflict between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And this is a story of a little boy who is in the middle of it. And he's kind of trying to figure out what the big deal is and why everyone's so mad. And it's a beautiful movie. And I think I think um, Jamie Dornan had me fooled because I thought he was a terrible actor, but he's (laughs) actually becoming really great. And um, it doesn't help when you're acting against, it doesn't hurt, I should say, when you're acting against Judy Dench. <laughs> um, yeah, but it helps. It's a, a simple, black and white, beautiful, like 100 minute movie about a little boy in the middle of Northern Ireland. And um, it's very, very moving and, and beautifully shot. Very good. Judy Dench, friend of the show, as you guys might remember. She was a, a guest here on Broadway Radio many years ago, but nonetheless, we'll, we'll <laughs> keep moving on. Um, mine, speaking of Judy Dench, is I'm going to do something Shakespearean, because actually just on Wednesday night, I watched the new HBO documentary called Reopening Night, which chronicles the very tumultuous road that the public theater's Shakespeare in the Park took to reopening this past summer. Um, they reopened with an adaptation of Shakespeare's The Merry Wives of Windsor that was adapted by Jocelyn Bio and set in um, South Harlem amongst a, a community of, uh, of West African immigrants. Um, it was directed by Sahim Ali, and they really chronicled the whole thing about them working through the adaptation, about trying to rehearse during the pandemic, did a lot of rehearsing during Uh, on Zoom before they got into the actual rehearsal room. They went backstage and showed like what it's like to actually do a show um, at the Delacorte Theater in Central Park. They chronicled, you know, the COVID issues that the cast went through. They chronicled the weather issues that the show had before it was able to open. Um, And it was for someone who loves New York theater um, and the public theater and Shakespeare theater. This is something that you have to have to see. It was just released on HBO Max. Um, So I highly recommend Reopening Night um, from HBO about Merry Wives at Shakespeare in the Park. I just saw that um, on HBO last night. I added it to my list. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. What else you got, Jen? I'm going to go back to television and recommend a show... that Matt will never watch called Yellow Jackets. <laughs> I that's actually was on my list of things to try to watch in time for this episode that I didn't get around to. Um okay, well, it's interesting. I won't it watch is, it. I won't like it you're telling me. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. It's a it's described as a female lord of the flies, but it's it's so much worse. Oh, and great. um great they cast tell it, though. Amazing cast. It really is. And they tell it in um, two time periods in in present present day. And then back in 1996, when this when this soccer team called the Yellow Jackets crashed in um, the wilderness in Canada on their way to a tournament and they got stuck there for 19 months. And well, stuff goes down. (laughs) Um, But you're right. It's the cast is ridiculous. It's Juliette Lewis 
Schultz and Christina Ricci and Melanie Linsky, um, which is like the trifecta of scene partners. Because <laughs> yeah. they, oh my God, it's like they've been related for years. They're just brilliant together. Their younger counterparts of them are really good at being them. You know, like you can see Juliette Lewis in her younger counterpart. But it is a fascinating story. If you're a big fan of the 90s, there's a great 90s soundtrack to it. And uh, it's it's something. They're, they're not shy about showing you uh, graphic scenes. So oh, you, well. en- you enjoy. <laughs> okay, great. Wonderful. Um, something else that I am really enjoying that I did not think that I would is a new show on HBO Max called Station Eleven. Um, it is based on a 2014 novel of the same name by Emily St. John Mandel. And believe it or not, it is set during and 20 years after a flu pandemic resulted in the collapse of civilization. Um, this, again, is from a, based on a novel that predates our current pandemic, uh, but obviously has a ton of, of overlap. Um, I watched this because I heard so much buzz about it when the first episode was released. The first three episodes came out um, last Thursday, and then the next two episodes came out uh, today, Thursday the 23rd, when we're recording. I haven't watched those yet. Then there'll be two more that come out on the 30th, two more that come out on the 6th, and then the season-slash-series finale will be released on January 13th. Um, It's really great, and not only because it opens up with a production of King Lear in Chicago, starring uh, Gael Garcia Bernal um, as the the actor playing Lear, um, but it really has uh, really kind of a, uh, gripped me like a good novel does because of all of the things that you see unfolding. Who knows who? Um, how are the relationships happening between them? Twenty years after the pandemic happens um, and civilization has pretty much collapsed, the a group of survivors are now making a living as a group of traveling performers. Um, so of course I love the theatrical connections there. Um, but it is really, really good. Um, some good theater folks pop up there. Um, Deborah Cox, uh, is in the cast. Um, the always delightful Enrico Colantoni is in it. Um, David Cross is, is in it as well. Um, just a really, really great show that I'm excited to see, uh, to see more of and to see where the rest of this, uh, where the rest of this series goes. Yeah. I read the book. Um, Oh, did you? I was gonna, yeah. So I was going to, that's one of the ones I want to binge uh, over break, break, like I have a job. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. I will definitely put that on my list. All right. So, uh, so what do you have next? Um, going back to, um, I'm actually going to put in something different than a film because I feel like we're going to get to the area where we're overlapping a little. So I'm going to talk about um, Seth Meyers, his YouTube uh, digital show, The Corrections. I'm a huge Seth Meyers fan. Obviously, I don't stay up that late, but we watch him on Hulu all the time. I think he's a great interviewer. Um, It seems like all the late night shows now have a digital aspect to their shows to kind of bring in viewers. And so his is called Corrections, where Thursday night after they taped their last show, he takes viewer comments on their YouTube videos of the, of mistakes they've made throughout the week. And it is hilarious. Now I can't confirm or deny, you know, that these are all legitimate or if these are writers produced or what, but 
they are really funny. And Seth throughout the pandemic has really developed this relationship with his writers where 50% of the time he's just like busting on his writers because when there was no audience, there was really nothing else to do. And Mm -hmm. so corrections is really enjoyable. It's ranges from 10 to 20 minutes uh, online. It goes up every Friday. And even if you don't watch the show, it's a really enjoyable way to get a couple laughs. I love that. Very cool. Uh, all right. I am going to go to a movie, and I feel like this might have been where you were going to go before you changed your mind. Um, but I am going to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home here. Um, this is the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, and I thought that it was absolutely fantastic. Jen, I'm going to talk spoilers, um, but I'm not going to talk I haven't specific. Seen it. I know you haven't seen it. So I'm going to talk. I guess I should say it this way. I'm going to talk about the movie without talking specifics. Um, I knew about 95% of what was going to happen in this movie because that's the kind of obsessive fan I am. I want to know everything before I see it. That did not impact my appreciation of this movie. It probably changed my appreciation of this movie uh, because some of the surprises that that happened weren't surprises to me. I was still excited to see them. But what really kind of touched me about this film was how loving and caring they were for the central characters that have been a part of this franchise um, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Tom Holland um, uh, version of Spider-Man. Not only Tom Holland's Peter Parker, but Zendaya's uh, MJ. We also got a decent amount of Happy Hogan from Jon Favreau, Jacob Batalon as Ned, and of course, um, Marissa Tomei as Aunt May Parker. Um, they really did a lot to focus on who these people were and what they meant to each other and what being a part of Spider-Man's universe, no pun intended, um, meant to them. And uh, because I wasn't always like trying to guess as to what the next big twist was, I was able to kind of focus on that. And I really thought it was beautiful. And there are moments legitimately where I teared up, which I know is not necessarily difficult for me but there were some truly truly moving emotional moments and i thought that this film was beautifully done um the great capstone for a trilogy of spider-man movies we are expecting more tom holland spider-man moving forward um but if this were to be the end again which i don't think it will be this would be a great way to kind of wrap up who the character is i am very much looking forward to seeing it (laughs) Whenever you see it, because you're not going to a movie theater anytime soon. That is correct. Yeah. All right. So that I guess that that wasn't where you were going to go now that I think about it, because you haven't seen it yet. So what is uh, (laughs) what is next on your list? Um, I've talked about the show before, and I'm still going to try and get you to watch it. But it's called Mythic Quest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is on Apple Plus. It is from the uh, brain of Rock, Rob McElhenney. And it is basically a workplace comedy, but it's set in the gaming world. And I'm not a gamer. You know, I know you're not a gamer, but it really doesn't matter. That's just the setting. It's still at, at its very core, a workplace comedy. And this cast is phenomenal. Um, this year, they did two episodes, which were kind of out of the narrative, about one of the characters who was played by the incomparable F. Murray Abraham. And he is hilarious. But we kind of finally get his backstory. And they do it kind of like a two-act play. The first episode takes place in the past, in the 70s. And the second episode takes place in the present. And you really get the backstory on his character. And it is him and William Hurt. 
and it's like a, a two-person play. It was mesmerizing, but I don't think it would have the impact unless you have the entire buildup of sure. his character. So um, it's an easy watch. It's uh, I think Apple Plus is kind of proving itself in the comedy realm. So good. So I, I really think you'll enjoy it because uh, there's some real quirky characters in the gaming world, just like in every office, but it's, it's some real good comedy and I highly recommend. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to go on to something that I have talked about a lot. And if things go according to plan, we'll be talking a lot more about it in the future. Spoiler. Um, and that is the Great British Bake Off Series 12. Um, I'm not even worrying about how they translate to what shows up on Netflix and seasons and collections and all of that stuff. But it's the most recent season that aired from September 21st through November 23rd of this year. Um, this was the first um, GBBO season that I watched weekly. Last seasons, I binged shortly after it was released, like before, right before it finished. I actually did it like this time last year so this was the first time that i actually watched it on a weekly basis and i, I just love that show so much i've recently stopped cold turkey abruptly stopped my binging from the beginning of the series or at least what's available to stream for reasons that you may learn about in the future but um it's just so warm and so loving and so kind and so fun even though i would never eat most of this I, I don't eat sugar so but even before that i wouldn't eat most of the stuff they make because british baking stuff is weird um but i just love the show the people are all wonderful i don't love um noel fielding as a host um but other than him uh it really is a perfect way to just kind of relax and unwind so uh always recommend gbbo um, but especially this series 12 was, was really, really fantastic. And I know you don't watch it, Jen, but I, I figure it sounds like something you would watch though. Uh, yeah, I'm more into cooking than baking because I don't have a sweet tooth. I have a right. salt tooth. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and so I can watch cooking videos about any sort of entree, but baking, um, baking is so precise. Whereas cooking is just kind of taste it, see if it needs more salt. And I, that's more my vibe. Yeah. All right. Well, what do you have next? Um, I'm going to say the Beatles documentary, Get Back. Oh, good. Which um, it's, It is a slog to get through. I'm not going to lie. It's nearly eight hours, but it is absolutely fascinating. It feels like you're in the room with these people who are, I mean, you can't go to any corner of the earth without someone knowing who these people are. Yeah. And you've grown up with them. You've grown up with their music. Even if you're not a Beatles fan, you know, Beatles songs and to sit there and watch them come from like a absolutely nothing to create their final album, which turned out to be their final album. Um, it is fascinating. It's fascinating to see their personalities, the way they joke around with each other, the way they get irritated with each other the way that they can just turn into seven-year-old children on a dime. And uh, it's worth it for George Harrison's wardrobe. Um, <laughs> but there's a scene where Paul is literally just diddling around on the, on the guitar. And somewhere seven minutes later, they're singing, get back. It, it, wow. it you, you get to watch him find it in the strumming of the guitar. And one by one, the other Beatles join in and there's a song. And you're just like, these were like 20 something year old kids and, and they just came up with get back. So it is, it is a, a commitment and you, you can watch it in parts, but 
I highly recommend it. It is just, um, it is just one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen in my life. Amazing. Uh, yeah, that's definitely on my list to get to in pieces at some point. All right, Jen, my next thing, which is number three, I guess, on my list, uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on because you and I did an entire episode on it. Uh, but this is um, uh, Ted Lasso season two. I know it is controversial for a lot of folks, but I loved the depth that they gave to Ted and a lot of these other characters. I don't think it was a perfect season, um, but any season where we can get an episode where we just see like uh, Coach Beard going through a trippy after hours nightclub-y romp, I think is awesome. Anytime we can see um, uh, uh, multiple episodes where we have singing from Hannah Waddingham is good for me. So season two of Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus, I thought was spectacular. <laughs> what am I going to do? Argue with you on that? No, you are not. <laughs> um, my number three is Dexter, New Blood. Mm. Um, I was a fan of Dexter didn't end that great. This is redemption. This season is incredible. Um, the first few episodes was a little like expositiony, but man, when they hit their stride, I, I sit here with my knuckles clenched. It's on Showtime. So I think it's a limited series. I don't know if they're planning to do more, but um, it's it's also starring Clancy Brown. Do you know him? Uh, the name is familiar. What would I know him from? Everything. He's been in everything. Do you know him? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I just looked him up. Yeah, literally been in everything. Literally everything. He is such a good antagonist for Dexter. So I don't know if you're a Dexter fan. If not, nope, never if, watched if, it. If, but it, some really, really fascinating storylines and great performances. So I'm really glad that they got to redeem themselves from a finale that everyone universally hated. I love that. Very cool. Um, yeah, I'm going through trying to figure he's literally just been in every movie and every TV show of all time. That is correct. Anyway, okay, so um, I'm going to go to something that you referenced earlier, and that is the um, Marvel Cinematic Universe TV series on Disney+. Plus. Um, I mentioned that I didn't love one of the, the series that they put out. That was Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I thought that was really underwhelming. They focused on all the things I didn't care about and ignored <laughs> the things that I loved the most. Um, so that one was fine. I don't really jive with animation all that much, so What If was fine. Um, Loki, I liked in the last two episodes i thought the first four were painfully slow but they redeemed themselves in the last two two and a half episodes but hawkeye and wandavision were spectacular i thought wandavision was one of the most interesting and complex and unique um things i've ever seen produced for television and that made it even more bizarre that it was a marvel thing i thought the last episode or episode plus got a little too close back to like the Marvel tropes and stuff. And I, I know a lot of that had to do with the fact that they had to shut down filming during the pandemic, and then they had to rush to finish it. So I kind of cut them a little bit of slack there. Um, but Hawkeye, again, um, as you mentioned, was spectacular as well. I thought that it, it, it took a little bit of time to get going for me. Um, but what I loved about that is that after seeing so many Marvel properties, including WandaVision, where the fate of like the world or the universe was at stake, I loved that this really just was a low stakes in relation, of course, um, street level show like we haven't seen from Marvel Studios. We saw that in um, the Netflix Marvel shows, um, which spoiler alert, 
do have a connection to this series. Um, but it was really great. The, uh, fun, had the great comic timing of an MCU thing, especially with Haley Steinfeld and and Florence Pugh. Jeremy Renner actually finally made himself a worthwhile member of the Avengers just from this performance alone. I thought that the addition of of Linda Cardellini finally having some sort of story as Clint's long-suffering wife, Laura, was interesting. And I think basically um, what we saw in this means that we're going to see more of her. Um, Fra Free, who um, played Kazi in this, uh, who I saw on Broadway in The Ferryman, um, was also very good. I was a little surprised at how underused I felt Vera Farmiga was. I expected her to have more, to be honest with you. But between her and Tony Dalton, Simon Callow showing up, I thought those were all great additions. Then we have um, Alakwa Cox. I, I think I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. She plays the character Maya Lopez, who goes by um, in the comic books, the the superhero slash vigilante name Echo. Um, she is a deaf uh, indigenous woman um, who we already know is going to have her own spinoff series um, on Disney Plus as well. So I was very excited about that. There is a very big, um, not even cameo, a full appearance at, towards the end of this series, which I will not spoil, but it made me very, very excited and looking forward to more of that person in the future, despite what you might think from the finale. So I loved it. I thought this finale was perfect, Jen, like you kind of mentioned. Uh, one of the longest and most entertaining action sequences in the history of the MCU, which basically was like, I don't know, the first two thirds of the episode. And it was interesting. It was funny. It was easy to follow. It was action packed. I, I really, really enjoyed this finale. You're not even going to mention Adam Pascal. No, because that was horrible. It was uh, wonderful. Okay, so we've mentioned it on today on Broadway, the fact that they did a... A part of the first episode of the series um, featured a Rogers the musical, which is supposed to be a musical about Captain America, which featured scenes from a musicalized version of the Battle of New York. The again, spoiler alert: the mid-credit scene um, was a full number from that show featuring Adam Pascal. Um, I have a lot of issues with that. First off, the song by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman was purposely cheesy like they tried to make it um a parody of like bad broadway commercial things um, but it was really bad um, my other issue is that um uh nico de jesus former newsy was playing uh scott lang ant-man in it ant-man was not at the battle of new york there was no reason for ant-man to be there i i i had a problem with that i know it is probably just for that reason to upset me um but that bothered me um and i was kind of annoyed that there were not more broadway people in it you know you had um, mark shaman and adam pascal appearing nobody else really disappointed you could have gotten me over if you'd had like chris sieber in there as somebody or um um i, I don't know or jelani aladdin in there i i don't know somebody else uh should have been representing the broadway community in rogers the musical you're so bougie. I'm not bougie. I was annoyed. Adam Pascal <laughs> has also hilarious. Adam Pascal has also said some things recently that has made me sour on him tremendously. But um, we won't get in on that on this show. But well, fun fact: before Hawkeye, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier was my favorite Marvel. So oh, not me, huh. not me. Uh, all right, what else do you have here, Jen? I guess this would be your number two, even though I don't think you're really numbering them. 
Well, I'm going to do my favorite movie of the year and my favorite TV show. Oh, perfect. Of the year. Okay. Favorite movie then. What do you got? My favorite movie of the year is Tick, Tick, Boom. Okay. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone, if, especially if anyone follows me at collider.com. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had, I tried to manage my expectations going in because um, I had seen the stage show and I really liked the music. It's a strange stage show because they made a musical out of a one man show. So. Yeah. And it's effectively a three-person musical. And then taking that and making it into a movie with a first-time director, no offense to Lynn, um, it was a big undertaking, but I just thought it delivered in every way. And there's a, one scene in particular that will blow everyone's mind. And um, also, there's a scene in which uh, Andrew Garfield wins the Oscar as he is performing this song that makes me weep profusely. And... Um, if he doesn't get nominated, I'm taken to the streets. <laughs> um, I liked Tick, Tick, Boom. I thought it it was a slog to get through at times, to be honest with you. Um, I thought it was very interestingly done and framed, and I thought a lot of the shots were beautiful. The performances were great. Um, I, 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 maybe I managed my expectations too much. I was expecting more than that, to be honest with you. But it was good, but not great uh, for me. Um, I, my favorite thing of the year is something, Jen, that you and I have also talked about um, before in a previous episode, and that is only murders in the building. So I won't belabor it, but just such a perfect combination of mystery and dry, dry humor, great performances that deliver both comedically and dramatically. Um, everybody from Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez, who are our central um, figures there, uh, to Aaron Dominguez, Amy Ryan. Um, so many other folks in there as well. Tina Fey, um, Jackie Hoffman, uh, Jane Howdy Shell, uh, Divine Joy Randolph, of course, the great Nathan Lane, and so many more. Um, really, really a phenomenal first season. I can't wait for season two when apparently Kara Develine, uh, or Delavine, is that how you say your name? Yeah, that kind of lessened my excitement. Uh, I will say I did sit two rows behind her and her then girlfriend uh, when I saw Jack at Little Pill on Broadway, if that helps. At least I know they're theater fans. Um, But yeah, and Jane Lynch was in it as well. So really, I I just loved everything about it. The only thing I didn't love about it, Jen, is that the episodes were too short. They left me wanting more. I wanted longer episodes. Um, But I can't wait for season two whenever this comes out. So uh, hopefully it'll be sometime in 2022. The, The first season started in like late August. So hopefully it'll be here hopefully sooner than that but if not late summer early fall but i really really highly recommend you watching this if you haven't seen it already i mean they are shooting because selena keeps posting tiktoks from the oh, set, are they? So, good good yeah. good okay great so hopefully it'll be out you know this summer yeah i hope so and maybe cara delavine will get killed in the first episode so that we can oh, enjoy sh- the rest of it she's oh. a terrible actor she's a beautiful okay. person terrible actress okay all right well what is your number one tv show jen uh, the Sex Lives of College Girls. Really? Okay, a little Renee Renee Rapp action. Yes. Um, Mindy Kaling created this. It's on HBO. It is exactly what it sounds like. They are not shy about showing you anything. <laughs> um, okay. But it, it it's refreshing to see a show uh, where you see how girls really talk, um, how they really act, and the shit they have to go through. <laughs> because there's a there's a particular um storyline which i'm wondering if it was autobiographical or a little bit based on experience about some a girl who wants to go into comedy writing and okay. how she ha- how she has to 
face adversity with a very male-dominated college newspaper to get on the comedy writing staff. And um, there's there's some assault and there's some tough topics that they they take on, but it's really well written and the cast is amazing. One of the actresses is Timothy Chalamet's sister. I and saw once that. someone yeah. told me that, I could not unsee it. <laughs> it was uh. very disturbing. Um, and I related to her a lot because she's a, from a small, small town in the mountains, an all white town. And she comes to this school and she really, really wants the people of color to know that she is cool and she's woke right. and she overcompensates. And that was me, my freshman year of college. And um, it's really, really good. It's really good dialogue. It's really good acting. Lots of laughs, lots of tears. Very Mindy Kaling. If you're a fan of Mindy Project, um, you'll be a fan of this. Way too awkward for you. You don't watch it. Yeah, no, no, no. How How is uh, Broadway's own Renee Rapp? She's fantastic. Her um, Her character has a lot of levels. Like, I don't want to give it away because there's a spoiler okay. that comes out in episode four, but um, she she's really great. She's she proves right away she's more than just one note. Like when she walks on screen, you're like, oh, she's a rich blonde girl. Um, kind of ditzy, got into the school because her, her dad paid for And it's she's so much more than that. And cool. she shows you a lot of range in the first 20 minutes. Okay. I love that. Well, uh, Jen, I do want to mention you purposely did not talk about Ted Lasso or Only Murders in the Building because you knew they were going to be on my list and we've talked about them before. But I do want you to clarify that they would have been on your list had that not been the case. Oh, yeah, for sure. I just I have a lot more free time on my hands. So I watch a lot more than you do. (laughs) I appreciate I appreciate you leaving those for me. So. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to both Today on Broadway and our quasi Some Like It Pop episode. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. Jen, where can people find you? I'm at EponineQ on Twitter, and I also write for Collider.com. Awesome. So, um, everybody, have a wonderful Christmas if you celebrate that holiday. We will have a new This Week on Broadway coming to you on the 26th. Then next week, we will have a, a number of things. Um, Grace has another interview that is going to come out on Monday. Um, the uh, Grace and Ashley did a conversation about Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, we will have things wrapping up the year with Grace, Ashley, and I talking about our favorite theatrical productions that we saw. We're also going to make some predictions for 2022. And Jen, I, we should get together. We have something on the books, but I don't know that I'm going to get it done in time. But we should probably do something else to uh, maybe transition into 2022. Are you up for that? Absolutely. All right. Well, have a wonderful holidays and Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will be back to talk to you soon. 